Today on Ag News Daily. There is a global labor shortage, but this isn't just unique to farms in the United States, that actually around the world there's a major problem with getting that next generation interested in farming. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy July 3rd, the day before the 4th of July, the celebration of America's Declaration of Independence from Great Britain. Joining me now is Delaney Howell. And Delaney, what are you doing to celebrate the 4th of July? That's a good question. I still don't really know what I'm doing tomorrow. I've got a few options, but hopefully getting in some pool time. That's my most important priority. All right. Playing it fast, playing it loose, but uh, planning on doing some swimming. I like it. I like it. Hannah Pagel, what about you? I am heading up to my family's heritage farm to do some camping. So that's what I've got going on for this upcoming weekend slash 4th of July. And Mike, what about yourself? What are you doing for 4th of July? You know, I honestly don't know. So my truck has a bad transmission and uh, it's slipping. Basically, it slips out of first gear. So I can't take the boat anywhere, which was my plan. So I'm not sure. Definitely grill it. Going to put some steaks on the grill and at least celebrate America by consuming a delicious, gigantic hunk of beef flesh. That's my plan. Actually, while we're talking about that, July is National Hot Dog Month, and tomorrow is supposed to be the largest day for consumption of hot dogs. Do you want to guess how many hot dogs the American consumer will be consuming tomorrow? Well, okay. Um, We've got 321 million Americans. Okay. Of that, let's say uh, on the 4th of July, let's say 20 million of them are going to eat hot dogs. And if Americans are anything like me, they're not just going to eat one hot dog. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say tomorrow they're going to eat 43 million hot dogs. Okay, Hannah, what's your guess? I was going on the same track as Mike, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go slightly higher. I'll say 67 million. Okay, you're both way wrong because it's gonna oh. be 150 million hot dogs. Holy cow! So half basically of half the population. Yeah. Yeah, eating hot dogs. Wow. Actually, when I read that, I'm like, I don't really love hot dogs, but I guess the one time of year I will willingly eat a hot dog is on the 4th of July because after I watch the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest, I always think, man, I'd love a hot dog now. Interesting. I would have the the reverse effects. I would be like, ugh, never want to eat a hot dog again. (laughs) I think that's most people's reaction is, oh, my God, he just shoved 37, (laughs) you know, dogs in his mouth. And Delaney's like, I think the record is like 68 or 69. But, yeah, I totally, it makes me want a hot dog every time I watch it. And it also makes me want to be a competitive food eater. Go for it. Live your dreams, Delaney. Shoot for the stars. Folks, it's Hashtag Tech Tuesday, and that is brought to us by our good friends up at Harvest Profit. On the phone with me now is Nick Hora, president of Harvest Profit. And Nick, give us an update. What are your users doing this time of year with the Harvest Profit software? Thanks, Mike. You know, we're in the midst of the growing season here. Uh, Plenty of weather issues, market issues. So this time of the year, what our users are doing is starting to quantify the numbers behind maybe some mid-season nitrogen applications or looking at some uh, fungicide applications and just trying to decide if the economics behind a lot of those decisions. And on top of that, 
looking at their grain marketing positions, uh, putting some different uh, targets in place, and basically just tweaking their their revenue and their expense projections to to give them an accurate go forward full season view of their profitability. Because at the end of the day, uh, we're firm believers that this numbers based profit-focused approach to farming makes all of these hard decisions a little bit easier and can lead to some pretty big cumulative gains for a farmer you know, over a 5-10 year time frame. Nick, if growers out there listening want to put the Harvest Profit software to work on their farm and help outline their profitability, where should they go to get more information? They can just go to our homepage, harvestprofit.com. We have a couple different free trial calls to action where they can just hop in and take a free 14-day free trial. Well, let's see. Actually, as long as we're on the topic of food tomorrow, I've got some fruit news. And, uh, you know, I think at a lot of people, especially people who are concerned about appearance, maybe they get the whole family over, they do a big old deal on the 4th of July, you see a lot of berry dishes with raspberries, blueberries, and then, you know, whipped cream or something, red, white, and blue. We got bad news on blueberries. Um, Blueberry growing regions across the country this year are seeing very, very mixed results. Georgia, for example, blueberry production is down 60% because we had such a warm February followed by a series of frosts. Um, Washington State is just getting started with their blueberry harvest. They're hoping it's going to pick up, but uh, certainly it's, it's running slow already. Really, one of the only states that looks good for getting blueberries out in time for tomorrow is Oregon, which is probably looking at a record for blueberry production, and they're getting them harvested on time. So, folks, if you're going to be doing a blueberry dish, either a pie or some sort of a crisp, get out there, get to the grocery store today, get them bought. Hmm, interesting. Actually, I don't know what made me think of this, but apparently the state of Iowa is out of Tito's vodka. So if you happen to be sitting on some, you're sitting on a hot commodity right now. Interesting. So no Tito's vodka. You'd think with all the corn that we produce here, all of that corn gets turned into ethanol and various types of alcohol at facilities across the state. We wouldn't be out of vodka. I'm, I'm really surprised. Yeah, I'm thinking maybe people were just stocking up for the 4th of July. I don't know. Probably. And I guess Tito's is a handmade American vodka, so they're mm-hmm. still celebrating America. But uh, interesting. Well, good. Yeah. Well, Hannah, what's jumping out at you for Ag News? Well, let's talk a little bit, um, since the tariffs are supposedly going to hit by Friday, uh, Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue is giving himself a couple of months until around the Labor Day season before deciding whether or not to proceed with President Trump's promise of shielding farmers from China's unfair retaliation. And so for tactical reasons, Purdue has declined to say how the USDA would aid producers or how much of it they would spend to compensate for farmers who are going to be hurt by tariffs. But that's just a little update. So I know we're, you know, we're at 4th of July right now, but the next big holiday season of the summer, we'll be looking to see what's going to come to play with uh tariffs and being compensated from that hmm. all right well yeah we'll have to keep uh, keep our eyes tuned and boy it'd be nice if these uh, commodity prices would bounce back and maybe all these things would be sorted out delaney what's yeah. jumping out at you well since we're talking about tariffs um there's of course the group of farm broadcasters in china the last couple of weeks 
And they had the chance to listen to a couple of great guys speak while they've been there. Uh, Kent Bacchus, we've had on the podcast before, I believe, who is mm-hmm. the international trade director for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, as well as Joe Scholl, the communications director for the U.S. Meat Export Federation. They both made comments this week talking about getting U.S. beef into China and the process that they went through to get that in there. And now they're saying that one of the biggest casualties coming or that could come after the tariffs go into place is taking major steps back in the U.S. beef industry and getting those beef products into the country because Kent Bacchus said, you know, it's a hot ticket item. Once it's in the country, it sells like hotcakes, but getting it through the port and getting it to China is going to be the biggest challenge moving forward because they're going to have import tariffs ranging between 12 and 25% on U.S. beef. Hmm. You know, while we're talking about China, of course, we talked last week that China has now approved French beef for import into that country after their mad cow disease scare in the 90s. Well, Reuters has an exclusive uh, report. Apparently, Chinese ministers have been in Brussels negotiating with the EU. They're trying to get the EU to come together and issue basically a joint statement against President Trump and against our trade policies and then take both China and the EU and go as one unit to the World Trade Organization in order to protest uh, tariffs and, and so forth that the Trump administration has pursued. And the EU, according to Reuters, has so far not been that interested. But mid-July, the 16th and the 17th, uh, five different officials from the EU are going to get together with some officials from Beijing, and they're going to chat about what else going on. And it's expected that China is basically going to try to bribe the EU by opening up new mm-hmm. sectors of their economy in order to get them on board with this uh, sort of anti-U.S., anti-Trump trade policy that they're looking at pursuing. So this is something we're going to have to keep an eye on because, of course, we're still going to be supplying China with soybeans, but a lot of the other specialty-type crop imports, you know, berries, flax, wheat, beef, pork to a small extent, you know, the EU can step right in there and take our place if this partnership takes off. So, Mike, I have a question for you. So, if they try to get the, if China tries to get the EU to come on board with them and then they go to the World Trade Organization, what can the WTO do to the United States exactly? Great question. So, right now, what countries can do sort of legally is they can put tariffs on that match the dollar amount of the tariffs we've put on. So we've seen China do that. We've seen Canada do it with their most recent announcement. And that's what Mexico's proposed to do. We're going to match them dollar for dollar. What the WTO can do is they can say, all right, look, the U.S. put tariffs on your products and those tariffs were inappropriate or they weren't for national security. Basically, they, if the WTO figures that there weren't a good reason to put the tariffs on, then they can approve a reciprocal tariff, basically a get-back-at-us tariff, of any amount they want. And so in some recent examples, like the U.S. sued Indonesia over tariffs on uh, soybean oil, now we've got a 270% tariff on soybean oil that the WTO signed off on. So that's what they can do. Basically, the country can do whatever the heck they want, but the WTO stamp of approval makes it, I think, look more official 
in the international world of trade. That's my that's my take on it anyway. Yeah, Listeners, I think that sounds in. pretty that sounds pretty correct to me, Mike. Okay. All right. Well, we got we got two votes here for wrong folks. Uh, be sure to correct us on Twitter or Facebook. Just search for Ag News Daily. And uh, Hannah, what else you got for us? So I want to kind of change the table a little bit. We were talking about tariffs, but I just found something very interesting um, with Hawaii. So Hawaii has passed a legislation that is banning the use of certain sunscreens, and they're doing this to protect its coral reefs. So major sunscreen brands like Banana Boat and Coppertone will soon have to like revamp their products or they will have to stop selling them in Hawaii. And the state lawmakers, they have passed this this legislation back in May that would ban skincare companies from selling and distributing sunscreens on the island that contain two types of chemicals, which they have deemed to damage coral reefs. And this this legislation has gotten a lot of um, opposition from various different companies and businesses, one of them being Bayer, uh, because Bayer is one of the one of the manufacturers of Coppertone products. So they said in a statement that the company does intend to comply with the legislation, but, and I have a quote here, eliminating the use of sunscreen ingredients considered to be safe and effective by the FDA with a long history of use not only restricts customer choice, but it also is at odds with skincare prevention efforts because a lot of people are, are scared that if they pass this legislation, people, and if they don't have the choice to buy, if consumers do not have the choice to buy certain products, they will just not wear sunscreen altogether. So I found that to be very interesting since we're in the middle of summer and the sun, you know, skincare is a big issue here, but I found that to be pretty interesting. Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, that's one of those things that I think is a lot of us go out and make hay this time of year in open station tractors. It's good to wear sunscreen and avoid skin cancer. Yeah, everybody, make sure you wear sunscreen this weekend because it's going to be a hot one. And uh, I want to just really quick before we jump over into the the markets for today, I wanted to give everybody a quick update on crop progress conditions and harvest here for winter wheat. For corn conditions ending the week of July 1st for the 18 states, that are surveyed, we're sitting about 55% good and 21% excellent. So over, way over half is in the good to excellent range. For soybean conditions, we're sitting about 55% good and 16% excellent, 23% fair. So still crops are looking really, really good. For winter wheat harvested of the 18 states surveyed, we're sitting about, uh, let's see, 40, 51% harvested and crop conditions there are sitting about 28% good, 29% fair, 15 very poor, and 19 poor. So not looking like a great crop this year. All right. Well, let's see if that news has done anything for the markets. And ladies and gentlemen, our markets are brought to us by our good friends at the Zener Group. Remember, you can get in touch with them and work through some of the financials on your farm by calling 312-277-0050 or visit their website for more information at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. Looking out, we've got mixed trade today in the grains. The corn market July contract was up five and a quarter cents at 342 and three quarters. December new crop also up five and a quarter, finished at 364 and a quarter. In soybeans, 
July contract down four and a half cents at eight forty four even. November new crop down five and a quarter cents at eight sixty four and a quarter. And in Chicago wheat, big move to the upside. July up eleven and a quarter cents at four ninety one and a half. September up ten and three quarters, closed at four ninety one even. Taking a look over on the livestock side, mixed trade today in the live cattle complex. The August contract was down forty five cents at one oh six forty five. October up 25 at 110.10. In feeder cattle, the August contract up 87.5 cents at 152.80. September up 47.5 to close the day at 152.60. And in lean hogs, the July contract up 52.50 at 83.72.5. The August up $1.62.5 to close the day at $76 even. And of course, looking over at the dairy market, a lot of folks will be having ice cream tomorrow. Be sure to get out there and help our dairy farming friends. The July Class 3 milk contract down 19 cents on the day, closed at 14.49, and August was off 32 cents to wrap the day at 15.01. Next, for our hashtag Tech Tuesday conversation, we're going to learn about a company that's putting farmers and farm workers together. But before we do that, let's hear a word from our friends at Latham High Tech Seeds. I'm joined now by agronomy specialist for Latham High Tech Seeds, Phil Long. And Phil, a lot of folks have been experiencing severe weather. And along with that comes some concern with green snap. What have you been seeing when you've been getting out in the field? And what should producers be doing to prevent this or once this occurs in their field? Yeah, it seems like we can't get away from the severe weather. Heavy heavy winds and, and hail, we've had a lot of that stuff lately. And, and now this last weekend, it seems like there's a lot of green snaps showing up, you know. And it's just the time of the year, unfortunately. This is the time when you when you hope, hope you don't have those strong winds come through. The corn plants are growing really fast. It's that period of rapid growth. And, and you know, those, those nodes and those inner nodes just aren't lignified yet. They're not, not strengthened up to the point that they will be once they get the tassel and start filling that in. But um, unfortunately, we have a lot of green snap around the around the state. Unfortunately, we, we won't expect to, to see an ear for most of those plants because typically they break off below the, the primary ear. So you're not going to see yield out of that one. There are there are cases where sometimes you may see an ear pop through, you know, secondary ear if it broke off just below that uh, primary ear. But uh, you typically you're not going to see, you're going to have a, a total loss in terms of that plant. Um, you know, in the future, the, the best thing to do really is, is try to mitigate that and plant a range of maturities. You know, try to get those plants at different stages so they're at different points in that process uh, during this, this key time frame. And, and I'd say just pray for less wind, but uh, I know that's that's a hard thing to come across out here in, in this part of the country. It definitely is. And Phil, if folks have questions about their fields or more specifically green snap, how can they get a hold of you? Just uh, go to uh, give us a call at one eight seven seven go latham or, or send us an email as well. For today's Tech Tuesday interview, we're going to be talking about how one company has helped to improve the labor force for agricultural operations. We've got on the line Nora Latore, who is the head of sales for Ganaz. Nora, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So let's talk about Ganaz. Can you give us like the 10,000-foot view? What are you guys and what do you do? Yeah, so uh, Ganaz was started about a year ago. Um, and our goal is to build a better connection between farm workers and employers. And at a high level, our company really creates 
connections between growers and farm workers. So that's everything from helping growers recruit labor, recruit farm workers, to um, engaging them once they have the job and they have the connection, and then retaining them on and off season. And so we're a mobile platform that allows that connection to happen in an app. And so how does that work? I mean, let's say I'm a grower producing uh, tree fruits or something, and I need to have a, a pretty reliable source of farm labor. How does Ghana's work with me? What do I need to do to uh, find and retain help? Yeah, so it's with the click of a button, which is great. And that's really what Ghana's was set out to do, was really to make it easy for growers to connect with their labor. And so what you do is you just download the app on Android or iOS if you're a grower and then you can get hit get workers and then when you hit get workers you can fill out a job profile and so you just actually in the app fill out um, information about your company, uh, where the job is located, information about the job, benefits, um, next steps for that worker, should they come into your office, should they call someone, should they go to a website to apply. Um, how do they send more information? And then they can actually post the job and hit post job and broadcast. And then what we do is we um, broadcast the job to everyone, all those different workers using our app. And we also use social media, which is pretty um, special and unique in the industry. It's not uh, the traditional posting a job sign outside of your farm. Instead, it's actually going online where farm workers are and are very active. And then we um, – then the, then the farm workers actually through social media can chat, live chat through the app with the growers. And then that way they're able to recruit labor in new ways. And so that's where it starts. And then once um, a grower has started their season, they can upload their entire workforce onto our app platform. And it becomes a like a B2B tool and a communication tool. And they can actually live message their crews and different crews and different labor forces they can send schedule changes, they can do surveys, they can send heat advisory, they can send quality feedback, they can send thank you from customers. So there's a whole wide range that they can do to really engage that workforce once they've recruited them. Now, that's very cool. So it's basically a dating app for growers and farm workers. I mean, you've got to have a mix <laughs> of both on the site, right? Yeah, in many ways. Yeah, like, and, and they don't uh, exactly. And they also you could think of it as like a LinkedIn as well, um, really connecting those growers and those workers meet Slack and agriculture doesn't have those tools, those multilingual tools. And so that's what we're creating. And it's also I failed to mention that it's a uh, auto has a lot of auto translate features so it allows it to quickly move between English and Spanish. Now, Nora, I have a question here for uh, just before your app um, existed, how would employers get in contact with workers or how would they go about finding labor for their farms? So traditional ways of recruiting and finding labor um, include everything from using the newspaper, local radio, which can be expensive, those ads can be expensive, to really posting signs. Word of mouth is big, so just asking their current workforce to let their friends know that there are jobs out there. Um, also using farm labor contractors and, and then also paying for recruiters, which can be expensive as well. Nora, is there an ideal uh, farm business or agribusiness that would use an app like this? Or is it really, I mean, even if I just needed one worker, would this app make sense or this platform make sense for my operation? What's great is that it works at scale. We're working with multi-thousand grower operations and processing facilities. 
Um, and then it also works for the smaller family-owned um, company as well. And so it, we work with, you know, you know, farms that have 10, 10 workers or 15 workers. We've helped um, them as well. So it's really versatile in the um, size of farm that we can serve. So, Nora, now that we've got an idea of what Ganas is, tell us the story. What prompted uh, what prompted you guys to create it, and how has the rollout been so far? Yeah, so Hannah and three other co-founders, and they actually met while working at Fairtrade, which does global sustainability. And so Hannah worked in global produce, and three worked in um, global CPG, working on commodities like cocoa, sugar, and tea. So they traveled a lot around the world, and they saw that, there is a global labor shortage, that this isn't just unique to farms in the United States, that actually around the world, there's a major problem with getting that next generation interested in farming and then finding labor for the upcoming season. And so they saw that problem, but then they also saw the emergence of mobile phones in the hands of all these farm workers and small farmers around the world. And they saw that they were being underutilized. And so they really had the epiphany that and the insight that they could connect and help solve, they could help solve the labor shortage by using mobile phones and that there was an opportunity to reach small small farmers and farm workers through their mobile phones. And so they really wanted to create tools that would help growers do just that. And so that's what a year ago they founded Ganas and really wanted to create mobile tools that help tackle the labor challenge. And so far, it's, people have been really receptive, which has been great. Um, I think it's the number one issue in agriculture in the United States and North America, and it's an expensive problem. And so people are really hungry for different solutions, and they're willing to try Ganas. And once they try Ganas, we have a lot um, of growth within companies. They expand a new division, um, referrals and whatnot. So we're getting some great traction, and we have some amazing grower partners who um, are using Ganas. Um, spreading the word about Ghana's and even investing in our company. So we're really excited about how receptive the industry has been to this China solution and helping us shape it. That's the coolest part, I think, is that our customers really tell us, hey, I need to be able to send a map location so that if we change where we're harvesting, then I can just text message out and through the app send out a quick change of where all the workers need to show up. And so they, we've been creating it with the industry for the industry. Yeah, definitely being like a dynamic app that's changing with what the industry needs. And when you look at what the industry needs right now, I know that there's a lot of foreign labor that comes into the United States, a lot of seasonal workers. Can people like that use the app or workers use the app even if they have H-2A visas, H-2C visas? How does the app integrate those type of workers um, into the system? Yeah, so today anybody can use the app, whether that, you know, anybody, any, um, any, anybody over age 18, and they can really, um, leverage it, and that's whether they're, what, regardless of where they're coming from. Um, we don't facilitate any screening and whatnot. We really leave that up to the, um, grower. Um, instead, we just make the connection, so anybody can sign on, and then they can reach out and make the connection, and then they determine together whether or not it's the right fit for their business and for their opportunity. And Nora, have you noticed any like challenges when it comes to the workers or the employers using the technology? Like, is there a technology barrier or how do you get workers to join the system or make it known to them that this is an option? 
Yeah, so that's what's interesting about our company is it's both B2B and B2C. The recruiting is more B2C, and then the communication platform is more B2B. Um, we've been having a lot of great growth by um, rolling out the communication tool, the messaging and surveying component, and really partnering with the growers. And when they when they upload a workforce of 3,000 or, you know, a multi-thousand workforce, the word really quickly gets out about us. And then through social media marketing, it's been a major tool for us as well. So that's... So- been helpful, and now now we're going to be doing more grassroots marketing, more farm worker engagement around getting getting the word out about the app too. Now I've got a question for you. The name Ghana's G A N A Z. What does that mean? Where did it come from? Yeah, so it's actually a Spanish word, and it means like to earn um, or to win. Um, and in Mexico, they use a, a saying, "Echale ganas," like do it, do it with effort, do you know, do it with passion. And so it's really about um, um, making effort and um, making a path forward and earning more and helping people really engage in their jobs. And so that's why we chose that word because there's a lot of connection to helping people um, with their jobs. And Nora, a, it, go ahead, Delaney. Oh. The only other question that I had, Hannah, and then I'll pass it over to you. Um, when you look at the cost for this app, do employers have to pay to use this app to find workers, and do workers have to pay to have a profile on this app, or how does that revenue side of it work? Yeah, great question. So today our revenue model is that workers don't pay anything, and that is really so that there's a low barrier to entry and so that they can easily download and sign on to the app. Um, and then – uh, growers pay a small, that's like, I think it's pretty reasonable, um, uh, fee when they post, a, post and promote a job. That's one part of it. Or when they roll out the communication tool, then we have various pricing for um, those growers as well, depending on size and whatnot. And so, Nora, so they'll then pay a monthly subscription if they're using the communication tool. Okay, okay. Um, can you just touch on any ideas of how you would like to see this app in the future? Like, will there be any new programs that your company is currently working on to expand? Or you touched on, like, the map-based software, um, but I didn't know if you could further discuss a little bit on some designs for the future use. Yeah, uh, I love that question because yesterday we were just doing a workshop um, around the Agile methodology um, around our future product. And so we're always thinking about continuous improvement and how do we, what's our next iteration, what's our next version, what's, what other features do we need, et cetera. So every day we're thinking about it as we get insights from our customers. Um, and then also um, we're every week meeting about it as a team at least. Um, and then we're having ongoing conversations about how to keep updating and iterating and getting, making it better and better. And so What's exciting is that with this, we're in our seed round of funding, and with this new round of funding, we're going to be building out our engineering team in-house, and so we're really excited to be able to move even quick, faster as we um, bring on that team and build out that team. And so some features that we're thinking about, um, we've been told from different folks that they'd love a desktop version for when they're managing their um, communication tool, so that's something that we're looking at pretty quickly. Um, we... Yeah, every week, I feel like every week or every two weeks, we're adding up new features, but we're really excited to bring, to make that desktop tool so that it's a one-stop shop for HR managers, for production managers, for leadership within companies so that they can, at a glance, get 
a full picture of performance and engagement with their workforce. And so that's one big thing that we're looking forward to this later this fall. Absolutely. And of course, more more tools and more options will come online as you get more grower feedback. And Nora, if we've got grower listeners right now who are curious and want to learn more about the app, tell us where should they go? They can actually reach out to me directly. Um, they can at Nora, Nora at Ghana.com, G-A-N-A-Z, so N-O-R-A at G-A-N-A-Z.com. Or they can check out our website, Ghana's, www.ghana's, G-A-N-A-Z.com. Um, and Ghana's is like a spin on the word G-A-N-A-S, so, but it's G-A-N-A-Z.com. Um, so they can reach out to us and we can do a demo. We can connect over the phone. We can do a video chat, whatever works for them. Um, and yeah, we're excited to bring on new grower partners and partners in other industries. We're working in a lot of different industries from, um, berries to salads to processing facilities on the farm, et cetera. We're moving into Mexico. We're going to be launching a more of a, even more of a Spanish interface in Mexico. So we would love to keep expanding throughout the U.S. and throughout North America with new types of, um, structures. We've had some, Seafood um, companies reach out to us, and um, I think animal husbandry is on the horizon. So we're really eager to connect with different types of growers from around North America. Outstanding. Well, Nora Latore with Ghana, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. And uh, we hope you'll keep us updated on when Ghana makes changes and it continues to improve. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Very interesting new platform we've got coming out there. And I guess the reason we found them was because Ganaz was the winner of the Go Guru Award, which was a, an innovative company award. Basically, uh, looking at companies that have been helping, you know, agriculture or improving some form of, I guess, lifestyle for the, uh, Rural America, and they participated in the Radical Automation Challenge, which is a, a startup challenge, I think, maybe more so for the western side of the United States. Yeah, it's very cool. And as that spread and we see more and more people using Ganas across the country, it's going to be a thing that I, I think we're going to find a lot of great uses for. As she mentioned, um, livestock handling. You know, I, I immediately jumped to dairy production and hog production, both places mm-hmm. that, that need labor. So anything to make that easier is a good thing. Now, of course, we will not have a podcast tomorrow. It is the 4th of July. We'll be out doing various things to celebrate America's great freedom. But Hannah, if listeners have missed an episode, and they want to catch up with us tomorrow, where can they go to find it? Folks, you can first go to our social media pages. You can head to Facebook or Twitter and just search Ag News Daily. There you'll find a lot of our recent podcasts, but if you want to go back and find something a little bit further, you can go to our website where we have all of our podcasts, and that is at www.agnewsdaily.com. And so, Mike and Delaney, if we don't have any other news, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. Let them go.